You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We're going to jump into God's Word here today. And maybe you had some plans uh, over the week, and sometimes your plans work out, sometimes they don't work out. Sometimes you wonder if you have any plans for your life or where you're going or where the future looks like. But I want you to know today that God has a plan. God has always had a plan. God's plan is going to win. God's plan has been solid from the beginning. And even when sin entered the world, and even when you and I sin, and even when other people sin against us, God still has a plan. And his plan isn't changed or thwarted because of your obedience or lack of obedience. His, his plan is not thwarted because you do right or you do wrong. God's plan is his plan, and it is solid, and it's going to continue you and he has a plan and a lot of us dream of doing things and it's going to take a plan. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream. But long before him in Isaiah 55 verse 9, God said this. He said, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What's God saying? God's saying, I've got a plan. I've got a plan. In fact, my plan, it is so far above your reasoning And my thoughts and my dreams and my plans are so much bigger than you can grasp or imagine. And yet what I want you to know is that in my plan, my plan for you includes love. And I want you to grab this idea that my big picture plan under the sovereignty of God includes love for you. See, we have plenty of evidence in the world to say, well, maybe God doesn't love people because bad things happen. No, maybe God loved people enough to die so that the bad things that happen in the world because of the sin of other people and ourselves doesn't forever condemn us to hell. It's a good plan. And listen, the word of God is eternal. The word of God is steady. The word of God is solid. And we're looking in the book of Ephesians. And I want you to go ahead and realize that here's why you need this sermon today. That God's dream has always been to invite you to join his forever family. That's what he's done all along. That's what his plan has been. Even when evil enters the world, even when bad things happen, God's plan has always been to invite you to his multi-ethnic forever family. Will you watch this video? Paul goes on in chapter 3 to marvel at the unique role that he got to have in spreading this good news to non-Jewish people. And even though he's in prison, he's thanking God for the chance he's had to see this covenant family grow so huge. So Paul closes the first half of the letter with another prayer. This time he prays that Jesus' followers would be strengthened by God's spirit to simply grasp and comprehend the love that Christ has for his people. As we're, as we're understanding the book of Ephesians more and more, I want you to understand that God's plan includes love for you. And I'm going to ask you just to do this today. Out of the highest respect for the word of God, would you stand as we begin to read Ephesians chapter 3, beginning verse 1 through 13. And again, this is the eternal God-breathed, spoken word of God, the most persecuted word in the entire history of the world. And yet in this house, we revere God. His plan is going to outlast our plans. His plan will outlast persecution. His plan is exactly what he wants. And so it says this, as Paul writes from prison, he says, verse one, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. 
That is, the mystery made known to be by the revelation of has already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. And this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God who created all things. And his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Lord bless the reading of his word, will you be seated? As you're taking notes today in your outline, I want you to understand this idea that God's dream for all people for a long time was a mystery. That his eternal plan, this mystery that didn't exist, most of Jewish people thought that God is just for us and our race and our people alone. But the mystery was that God wanted all people together. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. Jew and Gentile are equal before God and together in heaven. Do you know that the Jewish people thought that if Gentiles were to make it to heaven, they would actually just be second-class citizens in heaven? They didn't think that it was the same thing as them, that they'd have the same standing as them, that God's plan all along was to save Jew and Gentile. But God's plan, his mystery, was that they would be equal and together in heaven. Second, humility unleashes God's power to work in you. Like, never think you're so talented that you can do it on your own. I mean, listen to Paul. Paul has been made an apostle by God. As he was going to persecute a church, at people in the church and throw them in prison and attack them. God's light shone in, as he walked along the road. He was blinded and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who is it who's speaking to me? He says, it is I, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That even when others persecute, like Saul was doing, that God reached in, grabbed a hold of his heart and brought him into relationship with him and then gave him the charge to begin to preach the good news of the mystery of God that Jew and Gentile will be together. And so he began for the rest of his life to do it, but he did it with humility, right? You're not going to have God's power in your efforts to share God with other people if you're all proud about it. If you do that, you're just going to try to argue someone into the kingdom. Let me tell you something. Very few people get argued into the kingdom of God. Because it's not just head knowledge. There's a moment of faith where you have to step out. There's a moment where you have to believe with your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and that you can have faith through him and salvation through Christ alone. I mean, so often, even when I'm back here, before I come out, I'm just praying, God, I just step aside. Like, I just get out of the way because I walk up here to this place, right? And I carry whatever I'm bringing with me. 
I carry Dave's stuff, Dave baggage. I carry Dave here. And my effort is to be like, God, I just get out of the way. Like, you just please, I just get out of the way. You do what you want to do in and through me. There's got to be a humility to it, uh, not just working in your own talent or your gifts or your abilities. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's building the case in Ephesians that even though he's in humble circumstances, prison, and even though he is the least of all the Lord's people, though other people would elevate him, he's saying, listen, in humility, I understand the grace that has been given to me. You know the problem with a lot of people who become Christians? They forget the grace that has been given to them and they fail to give it to other people. So they stand in judgment. I'm saved, and now I'm gonna sit in judgment on all the rest of the world. And guess what? They lose their influence with their lost friends because they're sitting in judgment on them all the time and expecting them to live like they're saved even though they're lost. Because frankly, lost people are gonna do what lost people do. And until they're saved, they're gonna keep doing what lost people do. Don't forget the grace that's been given to you in humility. That's what unleashes God's power in you. Third on your outline says this, according to verse 8, is anyone's background or sin so bad that you're disqualified from serving God? The answer is no. Paul in humility is saying, listen, I want to be humbly available to God. And God is using him because he made himself humbly available. Now, if you stand in pride, if you stand in arrogance, and if you keep going on an ongoing unrepentant sins in different ways, yeah, there are certain aspects of ministry God will say that's not for you. But if you understand the life of Paul, you're understanding he's saying this, verse 8, though I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me. Remember, mercy is you deserve punishment, but you don't get it. Grace is better. Grace is you deserve punishment, but instead you're going to be given eternal life through Jesus. That's love. So don't just look at God and say, God, just be merciful to me. No, understand God's agenda was not just to be merciful to people. God's agenda all along was to give grace through faith in Jesus. It's the one way by which we are saved. So you need to understand that even at times where you have an accuser on the inside saying, oh, look what you've done. God can't possibly use you. That Paul, you just go, again, though I'm the least of all the Lord's people, God's going to use me and be available humbly to him to preach the good news. Number four, God will not bless churches who take a different direction than to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's all about Jesus. I want you to understand it's all about Jesus. Even when you talk about a series like a, a series called The Story of You, the story of you only makes sense within the big story of God. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It will forever always be about Jesus. And your story doesn't make sense until you understand how your story fits within God's big story. And that's why we're talking about the book of Ephesians, because God is revealing this mystery that's been hidden for all these ages. So churches that simply will preach self-help or health and wealth, they're not going to thrive. They may grow in number, but they're not going to thrive in the work of the Holy Spirit. God's mystery is expressed through Christ, his plan to save you and me through sacrificial love. And God wants us, according to Ephesians here, chapter 3, to approach him with two things. He says, I want you to approach me. Here's how I want you to come to me. Are you ready? This is God saying, when you come to me, I want two things. First of all, I want you to approach me with freedom. Approach God with freedom. See, they used to have to approach God with like cowering before him. And they had to approach God with 
sacrifices of animals to cover up the sins they had committed. They knew the sins they had committed, then they had to undo them with animal sacrifice. That's how they used to come to God. And now under Christ, we have freedom to approach God. That you have permission to look him in the eye. That there are no hoops or restrictions. God is always available. He understands perfectly what you're saying the first time. There is no language barrier. There's no voicemail. He's able to give instant approval. He can give instant troubleshooting. There are no upgrades needed to God. There are no worries or there are no viruses. Your personal information is secure with him and he never gets outdated. Isn't that good news? We got freedom. You're like, I don't have to reboot the system first. You don't. Approach him with freedom. Approach him with freedom. Second, he says, approach him with confidence. Oh, it's hard, isn't it? Sometimes approach God with confidence. When you're aware of your own sin, it's hard to approach him. I get that. But he wants us to approach him that instead of cowering in fear, that was the old way of doing things, the old manner of religion. And he's saying in relationship now, Approach me with confidence that in my big picture plan was always you in mind. And in my big picture plan was love for you. So don't approach God as if he's short of funds or as if he's lacking in resources or power. What do we do? We, we put our human limitations on God. And we begin to approach him like, well, I don't know, God, if you can do this, but... And you bring your impossible situation. You're like, I don't know if I can bring that before God. And I don't know if he can do anything about it. I kind of know he should be able to, but I don't know if he can. I want to tell you, approach him with freedom, but approach him with confidence that you're approaching the God of the universe, the God who had the big picture plan all along, a God who cares about you. And we know that God is able to do all things that he wants to do in our situation. But so often we resort to human reasoning. Approach him with freedom. Approach him with confidence. He goes on in verse 14, he says this, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of our, his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through what? Through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Is that your love of him or God's love of you? It's God's love of you. You're rooted and established in God's love, right? That you may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What's he saying? You don't get God until you get God's love. You don't understand the power of God in your life until you understand the power of God's love. That that's his purpose, that's his desire. And and Paul is saying, listen, I'm in prison. I'm in horrible situation. I'm not in great circumstances, but I want you to know this. If you want to know the fullness of the power of God, you've got to know his love. You've got to know his love. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the father. He's not kneeling because he's in prison. He's kneeling Because in his day and age, the Pharisees would often stand on the corners in full view of everyone to pray. And he was trained as a Pharisee. Paul's saying the old way of doing it was to do a big, mighty public prayer. And the new way of doing it is saying, even in humble circumstances in prison, I will kneel. I will humble myself. I will kneel before the Father and come to pray for the Gentile people that they would know the love 
of God. And he says it three ways. I want you to catch it. If you're taking notes, write this word down, that you need to grasp God's love. He said, being rooted and established, you need to grasp God's love. Here's the problem with grasping God's love. You see the leaf of the tree, a little tiny leaf, but you don't see the whole rest of the tree and the trunk and the roots that are all going out there in God's love. God's love is massive. And so often you're looking at the little leaf that fell off the tree and you're like, is this good? Is this for me? Does God love me? It's kind of like he loves me not, right? You know, with flowers and he, you do that with the leaf and you're like, I see the leaf, but you're not seeing that there's a massive rooted and established nature to God inviting you to be a part of his forever family. And he's saying, I want you to grasp the whole thing. Stop looking at the leaf. I want you to understand how massive the, the love of God is in you. In fact, the, the idea of this word grasp is that it would burn all the way through you. It's like acid. He's like saying, I don't want you to just know about it, head knowledge. I want you to grasp so that you own it all the way through you to the deepest parts of your core, that you understand, that you grasp, that you're forever in pursuit of knowing and experiencing the love of God. Don't give up on that pursuit. He loves you more than the leaf. He's rooted and established you. He said, second, that you would know. And this is to know, and I want you to write this down, through direct personal experience. The word is genomai. Now, there's another word in Greek for know, and that is like, I know my name. That's the word oida. It means to know, like have head knowledge, right? So if you know something, you, you intellectually, it's oida. But genomai means you know it through direct personal experience. You've experienced it. You know differently. It's one thing to know. I know that people drive race cars. It's another thing to drive a race car. And then you know it differently when you drive a race car, right? You would know it totally differently because you know through direct personal experience. And that's what he's saying about the love of God. Don't put the love of God up here. Let it get all the way down here. Experience it. I want you to grasp it and walk through it in a beautiful, amazing way. And then he, third, he says that we want you to be filled, to be filled. Use the power that as his people that's already in us, he wants you to use that power because we've already got God in all of you, but now using that power. It's like this idea. It's, it's like if you had a bottle full of water and uh, it was frozen. You ever froze your water and you took it out, but it didn't melt by the time you were thirsty? Anyone have that experience, right? You're like, not that. Like, <laughs> you know, you're trying to like get it out. Well, it's full, but it's not available. And I want you to know you have the power of God in you, but some of you have let it freeze. And he's saying, let the love of God, in a sense, melt down so that you know particularly and you're filled with the power of God because it's not just supposed to stay in you. It's supposed to take what's in you and leak out to water other people. It's supposed to be used as a way so that the church takes the love of God, the grace of God, we receive it and we say, oh, thank you so much. And we understand through direct personal knowledge the love of God. And now we're supposed to pour that out. See, but if we just keep it at head knowledge, I know the love of God. I'm just not going to do anything about it. See how that works? And there are a lot of people who have a head knowledge of God who think they're going to be saved. And God's going to say, what did you do with all that I was given to you? Nothing. It doesn't work that way, does it? 
So he says this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him, and by the way, this verse gets used out of context a lot, but it is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. So watch, listen to this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within who? Us. That's where that power is. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Listen, he says the power, it's in us. He's not saying just the power is for us. He's saying, I want to do it with you. I want to do it through you. You take what's frozen on the inside. You begin to let it melt because you're understanding and grasping God's love for you. And when you understand and let the love of God burn all the way through you, it melts what's on the inside. And you begin to pour that out. Now God's work is happening in and through you. It's a beautiful picture. God's love for us. God's love in us. God's love out of us. It's a beautiful picture. Don't stop the process. I've seen stones in the shapes of pentagrams overlooking on a, a hillside valley area, overlooking the San Fernando Valley in Southern California. And when I was 15 years old, my church had been a mobile church and it bought all these acres of land uh, just on the hills surrounding the San Fernando Valley. And part of that land that they bought was the Spawn Ranch, which was Charles Manson's headquarters in his really, really bad years. And I worked for a construction company, and for that first summer at 15 years old, I held the stop sign to stop traffic on the road so that the dirt trucks that were grading out this area where the stones and pentagrams were Satanists used to pray over the San Fernando Valley, that that land began to get changed and graded, and I would stop the traffic as the trucks would go out and carry all that waste material away. And I've watched God take land that Satanists used to use to pray over the San Fernando Valley and build his church on it. That's knowing the love of God. We've seen God take a building that people use for self-worship, right? And created it to a house of worship. This was Gold's Gym, right? And that's what God does with us. We always worship ourselves until we understand our need and the love of God. And now we take our house of worship. And he makes us a house of worship. It was a house that was all about selves. He makes us a house of worship. I've seen through the shooting at Columbine, and we've had some mass shootings just yesterday and last weekend. And let me just tell you, just the world is going crazy, but there is a God who loves us. And you, you, so many people begin to accuse God for the sin of people against people, which God came to die for. He came to undo that. He came to bring some good out of the worst horrible tragedies. And I've seen firsthand with my eyes that out of great tragedy, God can bring great triumph for people who might otherwise never turn to him except for something like that impacting their life. And I watched, by the way, the state of Colorado put on a worship service. By the way, the state of Colorado was the first state to legalize abortion in 1967. A very liberal state, but I watched them put on a worship service after the shooting at Columbine. And who would have ever thought that my state would ever have done something like that. I've seen the power and the love of God in the worst circumstances. I've seen demonized people freed by God's power. I've watched God heal broken hearts. I've seen, even in our church, marriages that you and I would have given like 1% chance of ever making it. 
conquering the 99 percentile against it, and that God has stepped in and helped them make it. And when some marriages have fallen apart, I've watched people who otherwise should be absolutely devastated be understand the love of God and the bride relationship with God, whether you're a man or a woman, but you've got the bride of Christ because you're the church. And I've watched God rescue the course of your life because of that and heal the hurts and the wounds of divorce. I've seen it firsthand. I've watched God using a broken quadriplegic woman named Johnny Erickson Tata reach more people for the cause of Christ worldwide than the Special Olympics does. 17 years old, she dove off a platform into water that was too shallow. She broke her neck. She almost drowned, but her sister wondered where she was, went looking for her underwater, found her, pulled her up just in time. And since 17 years old, she's been a quadriplegic. She's now the longest living quadriplegic on earth because most of them don't last past the age 50 because of complications of paralysis. God has sustained her. And all over the world, they do camps for special needs. It's called Johnny and Friends. But you would think her plan was over. Her life was over. She was a quadriplegic. You can't move your arms. You can't move your legs. We used to drive in a van with her when I was a kid, and she'd stick a like grab a little stick with her mouth and the steering column came up and had buttons on it, like turn right, turn left, and you push. And the longer you hold, the more the van turns. And I, we're in the back, we're being mean. We're like, the quadriplegic's driving, we're gonna die, you know? And she, she has a good sense of humor, so she was okay with that. We weren't very sensitive. But I've seen God impact the world through her. I've seen God do amazing things because of his love. He is able to be more than you ask or you imagine. And I want to say, do you have a big picture of God or do you have a small picture of God? Because some people, they, they kind of put God in one, two categories. I either have a big God who can do amazing things or I have a small God and I don't have a lot of evidence that God can actually do big things. And maybe you're secretly waiting your whole life for some, God to do something great. Let me tell you, when you understand the love of God and his plan in your life, you don't just see the leaf of God's love. You see the trunk and the roots and the entire tree, and you see how great and mighty the love of God is. Here's what I know. Write this down. There's a cross before the crown, and there's suffering before glory. The disciples didn't get this, and so often modern disciples don't get it that Jesus said there is a cross before the crown and most people want glory. I just want the glory. Paul's in prison and he's going, listen, there's a cross before there's a crown. There is suffering before there's glory. But the beautiful thing about God's love is that he's always had glorifying himself through his love to us and that we share in his glory. But part of that sharing in his glory is that we suffer like the cross first. We share in the sufferings of Christ. So if you believe that God shouldn't allow bad things to happen in a fallen, evil world, then I don't think you're following the same God of the Bible because he firsthand came to the sufferings of the world and said, I'll take it. I'll take the suffering and I'll make a way out of my great love for you. So let's take a big question. I want to take a brief impossibility test. Are you ready? I want you to take a brief impossibility test. Do you have a big picture of God or a small picture of God? See, some of you in this room, you know, oida, you know in your head that God will provide. But you don't get on my it yet. You don't know through direct personal experience 
in such a way that you're honoring him with the first of your income. So you say, I know God lo- I know God can provide, but you don't know it firsthand. You, in other words, I know how to drive, but you've never driven the race car. And you don't know it in such a way that you're honoring God with the first of your income and watching him do more with 90% than you can do with 100. You don't know and put God to the test, which he tells us to do, in honoring him in such a way. You know that prayer works. You know it. You oida, prayer works. Yes, I believe prayer works. But maybe you don't genomai it in such a way that you understand that God loves you so much that you pray regularly or that you're filled with much confidence when you pray. So you're like, I know prayer works, but I get other people to pray for me. I know that prayer works, but I don't approach God with freedom or confidence. No, you need to begin to genomai. You need to begin to let it burn through you, to grasp the love of God in such a way that you know it through direct personal experience, not secondhand faith, the faith of somebody else, but firsthand faith yourself. You need to know it, to grasp it, and be filled with the power and the love of God. Some of you in this room, you know, you oida, I should forgive. But you don't genomai it. You don't know through direct personal experience the struggle that forgiveness is, ongoing forgiveness for someone, and the freedom that it brings when you actually do what you know you ought to do. And you begin to watch the freedom of God burn through you because it's his love that forgave you. And when you take what is frozen in you and you begin to let it melt and it leaks out to those who don't deserve your forgiveness, but you're not letting them off the hook. They're still on God's hook, but you're letting yourself off their hook because of bitterness and a grudge an evil in your heart and a stubborn pride that won't extend the love of God to somebody else. I want you to know it. Not know it, I want you to genomai it. I want you to have a big picture of God's love. Why? So that you don't carry a heavy burden. God's dream for you is not only that Jew and Gentile be together. God's dream for you is that you would know and grasp and be filled with God's love. You know that God is sovereign. You know it up here. But when you see devastation left in the wake of destruction, you question, is God ultimately in control? I want you to genomai that God is ultimately in control. Not just know it up here, but to experience it firsthand. God, you're in control even if the worst should happen. You're still God, and I will praise you. And in the end, you win, and and we win because of the love of God. It may not look like you won the battle right now, but you're going to win the war. You're going to win it. So what would God do through imperfect people? What relationships could God reconcile that that maybe you think he never could? How will God answer your humble, kneeling, persistent prayer? What new life could be born out of confusion and tragedies around us? Could people come to Jesus out of tragedy? Could God take what otherwise should just always and forever be a tragedy? And can he bring some triumph out of it? Maybe even something that lasts eternally? How will God make the unthinkable happen? Will you trust God to begin to work in your impossible situation? I want you to know and grasp and be filled with the love of God so he will do it in you and through you because it's beyond all we could ask or imagine. And that's his prayer for us. And that's our prayer for one another. 
with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life, I want you just for a moment to think this. If today you have never received the love of God for you, you've never known that you can give your life to him, that all your sin gets canceled out, that you're invited to be part of his multi-ethnic forever family, that your sins are washed away, and you'd like to receive that today, here's how you do it. Just in the moment right now, you're gonna pray. And praying means you just talk to God and you're gonna say something like this after me and God hears you. Just say this, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you're God. I know today deep down somewhere that you love me, but I wanna know it through direct personal experience. So I ask you to come into my heart and make me a new creation and wash me as white as snow because today, Jesus, I give you me. And right now, if you prayed that prayer, will you raise your hand anywhere around this room that today was the day you said, I'm praying that prayer. I'm inviting Jesus into my heart over here on the end. Greatest decision you could ever make. Hold your hand up. I'll see you in the back. You All the way in the back. I see your hand there. Oh, anybody in the loft, you might hold your hand up and one of my friends will see you up there. God, we're so grateful because today we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate your great love for us as we celebrate communion together. We give you praise and honor and glory and all God's people said. Amen. We give it up for what God does in and through. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.